So again, good morning. It's great to see you. Some of you might be wondering, um, why is Jace here and we have a guest preacher? As you probably remember, I was supposed to be in Israel this weekend, along with about 40 people touring Israel, Greece, and Rome. But once the trip was canceled, I decided to take a few, a few days off last week and to have our guest preacher come anyway, because I knew that you would be blessed by him. Our preacher this morning is Dr. Robert Duckworth. Robert and I were students together at Dallas Seminary, although at the time we didn't really know one another. We knew of one another, but we didn't know one another. I knew of Robert because on one chapel, uh, he did a comedic uh, bit, a comedy routine in chapel one day, and uh, I'll never forget, there were a couple jokes in there that were just hilarious because they really resonated with me. If you're a student at Dallas Seminary, this would probably resonate with you as well, but he told a joke that as soon as you register for classes at Dallas Seminary, as soon as the registrar is notified that you're a student, immediately your check engine light and your car comes on, <laughs> and, and now you have two big bills that you have to pay. I remember that because that actually happened. Um, and then the second thing I remember about Robert in his comedic routine is um, he did an impersonation of Chaplain Bill Bryan. If you've been around Grace for a while, you will remember Chaplain Bill. He'd be up here on the stage playing his trumpet until he's purple in the face. And Robert Duckworth did a, an incredible impersonation of Chaplain Bill. But he brought the house down. And so I knew of Robert because of uh, his comedic performance. And after he and I got to know one another, after I moved back here to Dallas, uh, he said, yeah, I knew of you as well. Robert knew of me as a tough grader with a lame reputation. <laughs> uh, I was a grader for the Bible department, and apparently I was a tough grader. And I told Robert in the first service, and I'll tell him again, I will be grading his sermon today. But anyway, uh, presently, Robert is a licensed professional counselor. He serves as an adjunct faculty member at Dallas Seminary, but his primary role is the director of counseling services at Dallas Seminary. And what that basically means is he's responsible for providing counseling for faculty, staff, and the students of Dallas Seminary. And one of the things uh, he does and his department does is to hopefully deal with sin or character issues in the students before they get sent out to churches. And so it is a vital role, a, a very important role, uh, a great ministry uh, to Dallas Seminary and to churches who will receive students as their pastors. And so anyway, Robert and his wife and children uh, are, live here in DFW. They're active members of North Dallas Community Bible Fellowship. And so with that, Grace Bible Church, would you please help me by joining, uh, welcoming to the pulpit, Dr. Robert Duckworth. Thank you, Thank you. Well, good morning, Grace. And correction, that check engine light stayed in the whole time I was in seminary. I have learned from that experience, I don't even pay attention to check engine lights until it's time for inspection. If I can get through that, it can come back on the next day for all I care. Because it's just trouble, and you will see that as we talk about anxiety and some things here today, that I just don't let that stuff bother me anymore. 
it is so frustrating dealing with those things. But you all, I'm so glad to be here. I uh, just want to give honor to God for the opportunity uh, to be here, to moving on Jace's heart many months ago for me to be here. Uh, he planned this thing so far ahead. I mean, months ahead. He said, I'm gonna have, I think we talked about it last year when we reconnected that I'm going to have you come over and speak, but sometimes you can get an invitation to go somewhere so far ahead that you forget when you're supposed to go. <laughs> and I looked, I was like, wait a minute. I, I didn't tell Jace this this morning. It was some anxiety it created for me. I was like, where, when am I supposed to speak at Grace? And I think I did reach out to you. And I was like, what was that date again, Jace? And then we were, my buddy and I were planning a trip to North Carolina. And I was like, yeah, but Randall, I'm supposed to preach at somebody's church someday I said but let me reach out to the guy and I, I mean I went back and forth with my best friend for a while talking about I said I wonder if I should reach out I said I've already reached out to him and asked him the date he's gonna think I'm not interested I just it was just too far in advance I forgot and I didn't realize I had put it in my Dallas seminary calendar and that's where I had it because I was at Dallas when we talked about it and I put it in my Dallas seminary calendar so I knew the date and I said oh here it is it's in my calendar on October 29th and so I was thinking about it last week I was still so just goofy about this thing I was like is it is it really the 29th or did I miss it last week I guess they would have called me if I had <laughs> so it was so far ahead in advance but I'm, I'm excited to be here um, this morning and, and thank you you have a gym in the pastor that you have yes he was a tough grader he was a good grader to me though he was good I'm a better writer right now to this day probably because of individuals who you, you, you graded for dr constable uh, oh you did for Brent? oh yeah yeah he was one of constables i had you a couple of times they were coming for y'all's pastor y'all are blessed to have him now they were coming for him but i kept them off of you jace i did i kept them off of you but no it is just wonderful to be here and i am proud to have my wife and my children we do have an older son he's a sophomore at uh, east texas baptist university so he's he, he leaves in, in August, and we don't see him until Christmas. He just, he flew the coop. He goes out. But we've seen him a couple times. But he just, he loves college. All he talks about is how awesome college is. I said, well, awesome begins with A. I need you to stay there, buddy. <laughs> I need you to stay there. You don't have to get an A, but get a grade that lets you stay there. <laughs> so glad to do that. Just wanted to do a a few preliminary stuff, see some wonderful students from Dallas Seminary, uh, students that I, I, I've had the pleasure of interacting with, some that I've had in class. So it's just a blessing to see them. I don't want to name names because I'll miss someone and, and do something wrong. But you, I've already spoken to some of them and some of our staff over at Dallas Seminary. So uh, maybe I'll just take a day off or two this week myself since I'm already at the seminary today. <laughs> so let's talk about this subject today and they gave me a few utensils that I can play with here nice thing with a PowerPoint I had forgotten that I had done a PowerPoint they make you turn your stuff in early over this is like seminary over I don't like that I was like hey turn it in you need to get this in by the due date if you will lose points <laughs> if you don't turn it in on time and I was like oh my goodness this is flashbacks to doctoral studies but today I want to talk to you about that we have a creator that understands our present day predicaments. I am a licensed professional counselor. I deal with people's challenges. It's not just sin issues that people are dealing with, our students, but others. People just have life that has happened to them. 
and life is challenging. And, and our seminary professor, Dr. Yarborough, Dr. Mark Yarborough, he says, Robert, I feel like our students are now coming to seminary with more baggage. And I, this is one time, one time only that I corrected our president, love him to death. He's just been a wonderful uh, addition to our seminary. Um, but I told him, I said, Dr. Yarborough, the baggage was always here. They just are now showing you the baggage. Folks have baggage in their lives. And so, but uh, we want to share with you today something that I think God understands the baggage, the challenges we have in our lives. And so let's go to the Lord uh, with this. Let me go ahead and pray for us and then we'll go from there. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. I pray in Jesus' name that I will be minimized so that Christ will be maximized in this word, that we will point to you in every way, not to me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Philippians chapter 4 is where I'm coming from today. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9, Philippians 4, and we'll give you some time to get there, Philippians 4. Four through nine. And the text that I'm about to read to you is a letter from Paul. It's coming at the end of his letter. Uh, these are really the, the uh, moving into the salutations to the Philippian church. Uh, this is one of four what we call prison epistles that Paul writes. And he, he's writing to this church that he actually this is one of the first churches that Paul founded there in Philippi. And if you remember on the history of that, Paul had been in jail actually in Philippi sometime before that because of his work. They, were, they had preached and they were sharing and they had witnessed. And there was a young girl that was being uh, just kind of put out there on the marketplace to, to tell fortunes and do this witchcraft, really. And she was doing that for others' gain and their profitability. And so Paul had been in Philippi, had a, a really near, a close relationship with the church at Philippi. And so he's addressing some real present-day issues in this text. Uh, he wanted them to center themselves on the preeminence of Christ, that Christ is above all. He stresses that in chapter 2 when he talks about Christ, Christ's equal humanity and his deity and that he was God. He is God, but at the same time, he lowered himself to a death, even death on the cross. And so we look at that equal humanity and deity. And so Paul wanted to center on that. The, the name God is used 24 times in this letter to the Philippians church. So he's really trying to get the people to focus on the things of God rather than what? The things of this world. And I think that's a message. It has that, that effect of what we call the historical presence is though as we're reading this is as if we're reading it in our own world today. We are facing much persecution, false teaching. People are falling by the wayside. I was, I, it seems like now I think they follow you on YouTube, not on YouTube, the things that you watch on YouTube because I'll see things. I think something I popped on there last night, it says, pastors that are falling away, people that are falling away. I was hoping there was no algorithm thinking that I was falling away. But I looked at that and I was like, it is happening. And so Paul is preaching against that. 
And so he said, I want to speak to those things now. So let's look at these verses. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Verse 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul begins this passage by saying rejoice in the Lord. And then he doubles down and says Again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. Why would Paul say this? And I'm always looking for, we should ask these questions of the text, not to test the text like it's not true. It's very true. But we should ask questions of the text so that we can better understand and glean what God is trying to tell us from the text. And so what Paul says is rejoice, and he's stressing rejoicing. Well, you have to understand this. This church, he just had spoken in chapter 3 about the false teachers and the satanic opposition that was coming against the church and he said don't be anxious about those things you need to be rejoicing why would he say rejoice because when he was in Philippi and he was in jail in Philippi he and Silas began praising the Lord rejoicing and singing hymns to the point when he was praying and singing those hymns in that, in that Philippian jail, there was a great earthquake and the doors shook and the doors of the jail opened up where the prisoners could have just walked out of the room. I was telling the church this morning, I, I've only been, uh, I worked in the juvenile system for several years and that was like what we call kitty jail there. I, the only other time I've been in jail, full disclosure, full disclosure, I was with the Cub Scouts. They let us tour the jail. Years ago, they used to let us go into jail. You could actually see the inmates right in there. I'll never forget my, my buddy Neil. His, his mother was our den leader. And we went to the thing, and he looks. They let you literally look in the glass and see the prisoners. He looked in the glass, and he was like, I was wondering where that guy is. He's been working for my dad for years. I hadn't seen him in a long time. <laughs> I, he said it. This is not a joke for church. This happened. Neil said it. He said he worked. For my dad, I was like, they're literally letting us see the jail. And the other times I've done it is when I was doing prison ministry. I've done prison ministry. But I can tell you right now, if those doors had flung open in a jail in first century Israel, right, you did it right. You got, I would have walked right out of the doors out of there. I couldn't have handled that because I don't ever want to be in jail. But Paul, when the, when the guard was getting ready, to harm himself, end his life, because he knew he would be in trouble if those prisoners got out. Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're still here. And it was that jailer that ended up coming to Christ, he and his own family. And so rejoice when we find ourselves in predicaments 
That's what God wants us to do is rejoice. And he says this, the Lord is near. Now, there's some debate as to whether that's meaning in time or proximity, but what that really means is in proximity. Because Paul seems to be, based on the structure of this letter, talking about present-day circumstances. And he's saying, God is there for you. You don't have to go through a priest. He's available to you through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is with you. All you have to do is this. He said, be anxious for nothing. He says, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Make your request known to God. So the first thing I want you to understand is don't be anxious. What does that mean? Don't be unduly concerned. This is not an indictment on anyone in the passages of Scripture, the audience that Paul was writing to. It's not an indictment on anyone in this room. Dare I say possibly 25 to 30% of the people in this room have, are experiencing some level of anxiety in your life. Why? Because that's the national average, if not a little bit higher. Some, at least an adjustment level of it or having what's called a generalized anxiety disorder where you have a diagnosable anxiety. But Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but it's not an indictment. Because those are things that we get unduly concerned on and we put too much focus upon. But we know that the God we serve is a gracious God. Why? Because he says, but take it to the Lord in prayer. So the first thing we need to remember is to pray, is to pray. Don't be unduly concerned, but pray. Paul says, when you pray, you will experience a peace, not a peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace, irene, a peace that goes beyond. It means to surpass means to be, have something above, have something above. I was sharing with the, uh, the crowd this morning that, that for years I've had this dream that I could fly. I'll have these dreams that I can literally fly. I thought this was something weird going on in my life when I was having a dream. that I, This was a repeated dream. I still have that dream from time to time that I could fly. But I have found over the years that many people have that dream. It is a very common dream. Disclosure, I'm a counselor, I'm a preacher, I'm not a dream interpreter, folks. But we have found that that dream often has meaning behind it, that people, when they feel like they can fly, that they're hovering over their circumstances and their situations. Because oftentimes, in, in, our, in, our, in our circumstances, in our anxieties, we're buried under those, and we want to rise above those. So I, I have that dream quite often. It's just the difficult part is when you wake up from that dream and you're like, oh, I can't really do that. That's the disappointing piece. But yes, people want to be, have something above. And so he's saying that your peace will be above anything that you can think of in your own mind. It's beyond human comprehension. Now, let me, let me tell you this. When you pray, there is no guarantee that God is going to take away that which gives you anxiety. Doesn't mean it's going to disappear. But you will have a peace that rises above that. 
and that might allow you to navigate that anxiety completely different. I used to get real worried when I would see a check engine light on my car, Jason. I could care less about a check, check engine. Is the car running? Are the, are the wheels rolling? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Now, if it's a newer car, you better be careful. If it's a BMW, it's going to shut down on you, so I don't even want a BMW. I need something that will keep going. But you learn to navigate things differently, and that's where that peace that surpasses and goes above all understanding occurs. We will get unduly concerned about the things of this world, grace. And God knows that. Let's deal with the elephant in the room. We are nearing the end. I don't know how, what happened to October. It is almost over. And when October is over, you've got November and December. We're out, they were already advertising Christmas things on the announcements. Folks, 2024 is upon us. 2024 is upon us, and people's anxieties are high already because people are anticipating what is going to happen in 2024. People are unduly concerned about who's going to win, who's going to come out on top in 2024. Well, Grace, I'm telling you here today, Robert Duckworth does not care who is going to win the Olympics. <laughs> and a number of other things. Don't be unduly concerned about the things of this world. But go to the Lord in prayer. So we need to pray. But that's our defense for the things of this world, the anxieties of this world. But Paul then goes into verse 8. Verse, yes, verse 8 there. And he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. He says, I want you to dwell on these things. And there's two more things that he mentions, but I want to just focus on those, on those, those first six for right now. He says, whatever is true, that means anything that's factual. Well, what, what do we have that's factual? We have God's general revelation of who he is. Folks. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, if you don't know who your creator is, but you have some belief in what he does with general revelation, all you got to do is live in Texas. Because I went to Arkansas on Wednesday or Thursday morning. I was back yesterday. When I left here, I was sweating at 89, 90 degrees. And I came back today or yesterday. I don't, I've even forgotten what day I got back here. This isn't bad. But I came back so fast. And that temperature had dropped and I was freezing. That is God's general revelation that lets us know he's in control. But he also gives us his special revelation. This right here is the truth. This is the factual content that he's talking about. This is what we must dwell on. Not the things of this world. And he says, whatever is honorable, that means anything that is holy and above reproach. Anything where people see us focused on those types of concerns, those kinds of things, that they don't doubt our integrity above reproach. Things that are right, a right relationship with God and a right relationship with our peers horizontally, right, just, treating others 
the same way, loving people and loving God well. And he says, anything that is pure, that means holy. Again, he's doubling down on what's holy. We need to focus on things that are holy, that are morally excellent, lovely, things that give God pleasure, that is desirable and of good repute, things that are commended, we could be commended for. Not so weird it's focused on us, but that we give glory to God. And those are the things that we need to be focused on. Those things. But then Paul seems to summarize this list that he has there. He seems to summarize this list because then he says, if there's anything any excellence, anything worthy of praise. It seems to be a summary. It's kind of like, if I use this example, it, it kind of came up the other day. Something just popped up. I hate to embarrass him, but something came up the other day. Paul gives this list, and then he gives a summary to kind of reemphasize the list, the preceding list. And so it's like, I talked to my son the other day. I won't name which son it was, but I went to him. I went to him the other day. I said, I looked in his room, and I'm looking in his room. I said, whatever socks, whatever shoes, whatever sheets, pillows, whatever plates and cups, whatever stinks in this room, get it out of here. <laughs> that's the summary that Paul is doing. Now, that's completely different from that list, but that's how you reemphasize with those things. But Paul funnels it all the way down to saying, whatever is worthy of praise. If you don't remember anything on that list, we need to be pondering. That's the second thing we need to remember. We need to be pondering because he says dwell on these things. That means camp out on it and ponder on it. Whatever is worthy of praise, you need to dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. I think there's not a, there's not a whole lot of difference in the brain capacity that it takes to be anxious and to dwell. I think it takes a lot of energy. But what differentiates these two is that when we're anxious, we're usually anxious about things that we really don't need to be overly concerned about. But when we're dwelling, we need to be concerned about those things that are, that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good repute. Those things we need to ponder and camp out on. So... Just know that, that piece right there. But then Paul does something that I really appreciate. Paul gives us an example. He gives us an example in verse 9. He, 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 he gives us something. He says, the things that you've learned and received, I've heard and seen in me, practice these things. Those are the three points. You have anxiety, you need to pray. What's the offensive to that? We need to ponder on a number of things. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a thorough list from, 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 from truth all the way down to that where it says things that are worthy of praise. But last, we need to practice the things that we have witnessed in Paul. Paul was good at that. He told them, he told them in, 
in the preceding chapter to follow his example. Follow his, his, his example. And he reminded the Philippian church, he said, your citizenship is in heaven. The Philippian church was known for having this pr great pride in being in their Roman citizenship. And Paul understood that because Paul had what was called what? Dual citizenship. Dual citizenship. He said, but never mind either that. That's about the world. Your citizenship is in heaven. And you need to follow that example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example while I follow the example of Christ. So the question we have to pose today is, whose example are you following, Grace? Whose example are you following? And another question to ask is, who's following your example? And that's where the responsibility comes in. And whatever those things that we're doing, things we've learned, received, heard and seen, we need to what? Practice those things. I cannot say enough about practice. One of my very, very wise professors told me at Dallas Seminary a few years ago when he was supervising me and I was talking about clients, he says, Robert, he says, Robert, do you, have you ever thought about why we call counseling, counseling, practice that's what we still say when we ask each other questions you know people Robert are you still counselor you know, where, where are you practicing because we never stop practicing practice does not make perfect but practice does make for improvement and we have to continue to practice daily I can tell you right now my prayer life took some practice my prayer life is a lot better than it was when I was in seminary I, I can't even fathom being in a world where I just get up and pray about the stuff I need when I need it and randomly just get out of the bed and walk and go on through my day my daily life I've gotten to the point if I don't take certain medications and certain vitamins and I don't pray it's going to be a rough day for me. I don't play around with it. My prayer is something that I do. And we have to practice that. In the world of counseling, we've learned that you have a 30 to 45 day to even a new behavior. And we taught in our addictions class. And I know one of my students, Stephen, was in one of our classes. We talked about addiction. Jerry was in there as well. We were, we were in that class. You, when you're doing, you want to change that behavior over about a 30 to 40 day period. That doesn't mean you're going to be healed of it, you won't relapse, but you at least have to practice these behaviors, some new behaviors that get you away from your addiction. And once you do that, that's where you begin to see growth. There's no one specific day that you'll do it, but around that time. Now, the goal is not to stop at 30 to 45 days. You want to practice so much to the point that that new behavior really becomes a part of your lifestyle. It becomes who you are. It defines who you are. And that's what Paul is saying. Be diligent in practicing. 
I watch my son, he's a receiver, watch my daughter. She, she plays for Rockwall High and he's a defensive back now. And my daughter playing tennis. And what do they have to do? As much as I complain about it, I have to take them to what? Practice. Get them to practice. And they, I was like, why do you all keep choosing sports that have to be there early in the morning? <laughs> but it's the practice. And I could see in my daughter when she, she had a tennis tournament last week. And I could see how the people were watching her serve. They saw that serve. They were like, where did she get that serve from? Practicing. And she learned it from who? Her coach, not me. <laughs> she learned it from her coach, not me. I, don't, I, I know. She's taught me everything I need to know about tennis. I watch my son. He's a receiver. He's learning these routes. And I guess they have them doing footwork, and he'll go around, and he's doing stuff like that. He's doing this in the kitchen, going around the island in the kitchen. I'm like, what are you doing? But he practices that. But I have seen the results of it on the field. So we have to practice. We have to practice marriage. My wife and I have to practice marriage how often? Every day we practice our marriage. And that's what Paul is saying. Practice, practice, practice. Folks, none of this will mean anything to you without a complete understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And we have to practice our understanding of him. That he had a birth, he eternally exists. He has a birth, a life, a death, a burial, and a bodily resurrection. And here's something that we often leave out. And a hope of his return. And if we practice this, these thinking, that helps us to surpass the anxiety. It helps us to hone in and ponder those things that are worthy of praise. And it helps us to practice by knowing who the person and the work of Jesus Christ is because he gave his life, as Paul said in chapter 2 of Philippians, even death on a cross so that we would be able to practice these things. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for an understanding of these things. And I've been praying for you this whole week, and let me be very honest. This is not the first time I've preached this sermon. Of course, I preached it this morning in the earlier service. But I've preached this sermon to myself all last week. I wrote it last week, because why? I had a due date at Grace. But I prayed and I preached this sermon in the midst of my own anxieties. Folks, if I don't catch myself, I will fall in love with this world. I will enjoy the things of this world. But I preached this to myself this week. And I pray that it will be as much of a blessing to you as it has been to me. Pray. Ponder practice. And when you do that, I trust that the God of all creation will give you peace. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for this experience. I thank you for this church that has seemed to receive this message today. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for your death burial, resurrection, 
and an anticipation of you returning to be with us one day. And we look forward to serving you. Help us to stay focused on the kingdom work you've put before us. Continue to bless this church. Help this message. Help the many messages that Pastor Cloud, Pastor Jace will continue to share with this congregation. That they will be able to go out and be the soldiers that you've called them to be. Lord, give them that energy to pray, ponder, and practice. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. God bless you, Grace.